Hello, everyone, and welcome to We Are Wearing a Gold, a podcast featuring me, Chandler Ellsbecker. And me, Aaron Williams. Aaron, I've been to the barn a couple of times recently. Yes. Uh, because it's basketball season, technically. And uh, there are a couple of games that intrigued me, one of which you were there for as well. I was, I was, I was. I was. I'm, ass- I'm, a, I'm assuming you're referring to the uh, UConn versus... Uh, Minnesota women's basketball game. That's that's correct. I don't know how you guessed that, but you're correct. Good. Um, one, one point for Aaron. Yeah. Um, on Sunday we we were there, and uh, a lot of a lot of suburban Minnesotans were also there because um, you know the probably the most I guess not the most high profile basketball player. Um, from the Twin Cities was was playing at least current you know high profile player because I guess Chet Holmgren is now really really good um, yeah, apparently but uh, but the Gophers scheduled UConn um, in part because it's UConn but also because Paige Beckers was was there and uh, as as many people would have seen in the Final Four a couple of years ago uh, the Minnesotans will turn out for for Paige Beckers and, yes. Um, I wouldn't say it was an outstanding game. The first half was neither team could make a bucket. You know, from the Dover's perspective, that was even more frustrating because they got a lot of open looks against one of the best teams in the country, and they just couldn't hit them. And, and they ended up, I think, 6 of 34, 9 of 34 on three, something like that. Yeah, it's around 20% all game. Yeah, uh, and UConn wasn't really even trying the deep shots. They, they were getting to the rim a bit, but... They, they weren't hitting them, and the Gophers were actually out-rebounding them. And it was only a three-point game at halftime, and then we found out, you know, why UConn is UConn, because... Yeah, they had um, they had what you would call athletes. And, you know, we have, you know, some athletes, but, you know, UConn really, really had athletes. Those girls were, especially their post, um, number three, I can't remember her name, it's escaping me. Um, uh, but- yeah, Edwards. Yes, yes. She was, uh, for lack of a better term, just insane. Um, the way she moved, the way she played, shot, you know, just one of those people where it's like, you shouldn't be able to move like that, you know, um, and be that skilled at your size. So, um, but she was, and that's why she's a star at UConn, you know, and why she probably, you know, she was probably a five-star recruit and will probably you know, make a living in the WNBA someday. But, yeah. I, I, I'm probably overly generalizing. I, I have a friend who could tell me more specific things, but it seems like women's college basketball, even more than the men's game, is, is still a place where if you have a really, really good big, then that kind of breaks things. And and I wouldn't say, like, uh, like, like when I when I was at the Final Four a couple of years ago, like, Aaliyah Boston was the best big there. But, I mean... Ellie Edwards is also really good. So, and, and obviously, you know, UConn also had shooters. So, yeah, and they had Paige, by the way, who was also uh, kind of a sort of a quiet game, but was still uh, had some very impressive moments and certainly took command at times. Yeah, every every time I've watched her on TV or the you now two times in person, it it's striking. Just she has an incredibly smooth shot. Yeah, um, yeah, smooth is the way I would put it. Where like it doesn't really matter where it comes off or what kind of shot she takes like no matter how challenging the shot it always felt like it was a, yeah smooth it was either going in you know as a swish or you know very close to it or very soft like it just everything she did was she she felt like a really efficient player even though again she had a somewhat quiet game perhaps you know she didn't explode for 40 or anything i guess what i'm saying she did probably 15 or 16 or something yeah um, but it, it was cool to see the the barn like have so many people in it um, for either team right now, uh, but especially for the women's team, which at, was pretty good as recently as like five years ago, but has kind of fallen off. Uh, the wins, the Lindsey Whalen thing didn't really pan out. And I don't think, I mean, obviously, like I said, I, I would credit most of that crowd to it being Utah and Paige Beckers. But uh, at the same time, you know, to to put up any sort of fight against a top, uh, I guess they were like sixth, seventh, something like that in the polls this week. One of the ten best teams in the country. 
with some players who are at least a couple who are, are pretty well regarded. Mara Braun won, I think, at uh, like a, a FIBA thing over the summer was was part of the gold medal team, like a three on three. I do not know enough about international basketball to comment on any of this, but anyway, um, there is some talent on the on the roster, and it just matters whether uh, Don puts white makes things happen, and uh, if you know, if people show up. And this this is a place that does care about women's sports more than a lot of others. And, and I, it's I was, basketball state, too. Like, it's, you know, I mean, you saw, I thought it was cool to see so many high school teams, you know, uh, middle school teams at the game. You know, I mean, this is a team, this is a state that on both the men's and the women's side, you know, has put out a lot of high-level prospects an increasing amount of high-level prospects, not just the you know the, the four and five, the, you know the Chet Holmer, the, the page of the world, pages of the world, Jalen Suggs or whatever, but you know a lot of high Division One prospects, you know, um, and mid-major prospects, and really because it's, it's it's become a lot of people would say a pretty strong basketball state from sort of the, the grassroots up. Um, so that's you know, heart, heartening, heartening, tar- heartening to see and a, a good thing, no doubt, no, undoubtedly. So I, I don't really have that many more thoughts other than, you know, it was it was a good time and uh, I, I would like them to, to perform well. I, I'm not going to pretend that you and I are just here in and out every week in the football offseason talking about go for women's basketball or anything. But if if they ever did put things together in, in a you know, Be fun. In 25 way, I bet you and I would you know, express some enthusiasm for and go to games and everything. Yeah, I'd I'd love I'd love for them to be good. That would be very fun indeed. Well, you know who's not very good right now? Hmm. The Dover football team. Yeah, that is correct. One point for Chandler. We're tied. <laughs> uh we didn't talk last week because you had just been traveling. I was feeling very worn out, um, and so we just decided we'll, we'll talk right now. Uh, so that means we missed talking about the 49-30 to 30 loss at Purdue. We're now here to talk about the 37-3 to 3 loss to Ohio State, and we're, we're going to talk probably mostly about the Wisconsin game this week, um, but I was wondering... Uh, what have been your takeaways the last two weeks? Because it hasn't been a great time. No, I think more than anything, I mean, I, and I didn't watch as much of the Ohio State game, and, you know, so I don't have as much thoughts around that. But a couple thoughts. I do think one, especially against Ohio State, I think not, you really, I mean, as as nice of a story as Newbin, Jordan Newbin was briefly, um, you just need more juice on offense you know what I mean and I think a lot of that typically from historically for the Gophers has come from the running back position and again I know he's patient I know he's played well in spots but a guy like Darius Taylor you know would be very helpful um, in a game like that you know where you really when you when you do want to control and have longer drives and put up any sort of fight against Ohio State against Purdue your offense moved it a lot better than they did against Ohio State, but the defense, especially the pass defense, was just abysmal. It was not a typical performance, I would say, that we've seen under Joe Rossi, um, but just too many, too many lapses. Um, you know, not enough. Not you didn't, you didn't, you didn't. I mean, like he didn't make enough plays, but that sounds like something you'd say in a closer game. I mean, they scored 49 points, and it was not. And it was, it was a you know pretty back and forth competitive in the first half, but you just weren't you weren't making you weren't you weren't making stops. They were sort of they just sort of ran more more aptly. They threw all over you, and that wasn't that wasn't good, and that wasn't expected, and that really frankly was was you know dispiriting. Um, that was the the issue with that game, and I think that was my biggest concern in that game. Ohio State. You know, 37 to 3, whatever, you know, you're not, you're, they're just, they're a different caliber program. We talk about this every year, every week, right, with Ohio State. It's, they're just a different, a different breed um, in a sense. But against Purdue, that is a team, that is a really bad loss, I would say. I'm not saying you, you know, you throw everything out and, you know, start over and fire the coach. I'm not saying that, but 
that is the kind of loss that you really don't want to have. And it's really not a way you want to lose to basically get blown out, especially in the second half by a team like Purdue, you know, who's in a transition year, who's as still the, the one team lower than you, I think, in the standings in the division. It, 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 it's, it's hard. It was hard. It was hard. It was hard. It was hard to watch. And I did watch, you know, most of it, <laughs> maybe again against my own best interests. But yeah, so that, 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 those are kind of my thoughts as far as the two specific games. Um, as far like, we'll get more into direction later, I'm sure. But um, yeah, those those loss that loss hurt. I will uh, hold off on sort of big picture stuff uh, until probably after the season. Um, which I guess is a week away, yeah. uh, potentially. But I, I do think the, na- the nature of that loss is, is disconcerting, obviously. I can point to, oh, Maverick Baranowski was, was starting and then left in, I think, the first quarter. And you had to play true freshman Matt Kingsbury. And then when he wasn't getting the job done, because, of course, he wasn't, Bring in redshirt freshman walk on Tyler Stolsky to play middle linebacker. Like that's just that's an awful position to be in. And Purdue picked on those two guys a lot. But that's not the whole picture. The defensive line did not look as good as they had the rest of the season. Against Ohio State, I, I want to point out Trayvon Jones had 11 solo tackles, which as a cornerback, if you're leading the entire game in tackles. That's not a good thing. No, that was our, I think, my best tackling game in high school as as I was our one of our safeties. I think in my best high school, my best, ta- my best, statistically my best tackling high school game, I think I had 10 or 12 tackles. I think we lost like 63 to zero or something because that's just the kind of game that defensive backs get tackles in, you know? So they're down the field the whole time. Yeah, or they're specifically going after you. Yeah. And Emeka Buka had a really big one half and then didn't catch a ball the, the second half at all. Uh, Trayvon Henderson looked really good. Marvin Harrison Jr. was actually pretty quiet, still got a touchdown. Really, my thing with the Ohio State game was they played the right playbook for a game like that, but they didn't know when to break out of it because it's the sort of game where if you're such a massive underdog, what you have to do is drain the clock, control the ball, control the clock, um, make sure that they have as few possessions as possible because that puts more pressure on them to store on their possessions. And, you know, obviously if they have fewer possessions, maybe they store on half of those possessions. It still means fewer points. And, um, you know, it, it introduces more room for, for chaos and for, you know, the high variance nature of the sport to sort of take over and give you a chance at a win. The thing is, they didn't get any takeaways. And in the first half, they didn't give the ball away at all, but they punted from twice, or I think three times was it went from between the 40s, two of which were on Ohio State's side of midfield. They ran a few times on third and long, third and medium when Jordan Newbin just had no shot. Uh, you know, you, you talked about Newbin earlier. It's clear he's just, I, I, I really like having him as the third option going into 20, 2024, but he should be the third option, you know. Yeah. Um, and and I, this isn't meant as a disparagement. I thought that would be the case coming into the season with the guys who are graduating, the way they've talked about Newbin in the past and everything. Uh, but he's a third running back probably at his ceiling. And when you're going up against a defense that doesn't really fear the pass and that has some real dudes up front against yeah. an okay offensive line, um, then you're just going to have a bad day. And, and Jordan Newman had a really bad day. He had 2.6 yards per carry. He got beat up a good bit, I thought. Um, and Zach Evans left in the first half, too. So that's a good time. It, the, the injuries at linebacker and at running back really do put you in a, in a tough spot. And it doesn't help that Aiden Dewsby, who has not been playing really well this year, but has still been playing more than your other options at safety, he's done for the season. It's just kind of a tricky spot where it's not like you're just getting mauled by injuries. It's just they're all kind of happening in the same places and in some you know 
kind of critical spots for what you want to do. And that's just gonna, that's gonna put you at a disadvantage in addition to whatever problems you already got. So, um, like I said, big picture stuff, we could talk about the, you know, the whole thing about the outgoings and, and the transfer market and whether the guys they're bringing in are compensating for that, you know, what, whether the oversigning thing um, that Fleck loves to do is, is a problem. We can, we can have a big picture talk when there's no more football to talk about. But we do have more football to talk about because it's a pretty big week. Yes, yes. And a game that, in lieu of the Purdue loss, has heightened implications, you know, for this year. And again, not to go big picture, but potentially beyond. And is just a, you know, this would be a big game if both teams were 1 in 10 because it's one of the best rivalries, one of the oldest rivalries in the history of the sport. And, uh, you know, for that, we are grateful. And uh, for that, we will uh, get hype. Yeah. more more nervous right now than than yeah. hype, but yeah. Um, I this this is a, a a tricky game to to evaluate in ways, in part because everyone seems to think it's pretty even. Looking at the the projections, all kind of in the the fifty to sixty five percent range, favoring Wisconsin, who's you know the the spread has them by two. Wisconsin is not that good. They're six and five and they've kind of earned it, but they're also beat up at some key areas. Their best player overall, and I, I would feel comfortable saying overall, actually, rather than just on offense. He's been the focal point of their offense in the past, but this year it's the new system, uh, which they've leaned into more than I expected them to. Mm-hmm. I thought they would be, you know, ignore, ignorant of the run game, but the fact is, uh, I mean, well, we can just get into it. I don't have to dance around it in non-specifics. Braylon Allen didn't play against Indiana because of an ankle injury. He had three carries against Northwestern last week against Nebraska. He had 22 carries for only 62 yards. He can still plow people over sometimes, but he's clearly not the way he needs to be. And their backup, Chesma Lucy, suffered a leg injury against Purdue, and he's done. Jackson Aker, their third option, is passable. He's much more of a receiving back than than a real runner. They'll they'll give him the ball on wheel routes and swing routes and everything. Um, but this is kind of a a pass first team, um, I, it, which is probably over distract um, overselling it a bit because they've been in some close games, some games where they've been behind and they have had to to throw a bit. Um, but it is sort of weird seeing Wisconsin uh, play pretty much exclusively from the shotgun, a lot of 10 and 11 personnel. Um, They throw still more than half the time. They're better at running the ball, but they're still throwing a decent bit. Um, And I, I, I was trying to identify some of the concepts they're doing to, to see if, you know, people are kind of overdoing the, the air raid thing. And like, you see, you see a stick, you see mesh, you see four verts, you you see follow and, and these these RPOs and stuff. And it's like, yeah, they're they are kind of an area. They're not, you know, chucking it 40, 50 times a game or anything, but a lot of the concepts they they employ with Phil Longo as their running back, as as their uh, offensive coordinator are air air raid staples. Um you see a lot of spacing stuff where everyone kind of runs a, a curl or a, a little out and maybe you've got a, a slant on the backside or something, but um, still some gap running, lots of counter and power. Um, and, and in short yardage, you'll, you'll see more of that, but it's still out of shotgun and they'll still like throw in a shovel pass in there. It's just kind of weird to look at. It hasn't helped that for a few games they had to play Braden Locke, the redshirt freshman Mississippi state transfer at quarterback he was pretty awful, averaged 5.1 yards per attempt, um, really, really did not have it. But Tanner Mordecai is back. He broke his hand against Iowa, got surgery, and against Nebraska, he played with a taped-on brace on his throwing hand, um, which it, clearly he wasn't all there. He bounced some throws, but... Um, he still showed at times he has a solid arm. And one thing that is, is clear, he can run. Um, 
this year. He's he's got 309 rushing yards, four touchdowns. Um, it wasn't a huge part of his game in SMU, but it, it was a significant part of it. He's he can scramble, but I, I thought he looked pretty threatening on read option on, and on designed quarterback runs. He's got good speed, uh, especially once you get him in the space and get him going. But the the passing attack has just been very unremarkable. He, he's only averaged, Mordecai's only averaged nine and a half yards per completion. The Their, their top receiver, Will Pauling, is pretty good. He's got 64 catches on the year. He, he was at Cincinnati last year. We don't know his status for the Minnesota game because he got a leg injury against Nebraska. Obviously, he hasn't been rolled out for the season or anything, but both him and Bryson Green got injuries in the in the last few weeks. Um, Jim Ray DK, who was their top receiver last year, hasn't been available or what's what I'm looking for with him. Um, the Adam Holoska all-star, if you will, in Big Ten verbiage, where he just feels like he's been around forever because he kind of has. He's been in their rotation for four or five years. So, Was that the guy? Was it Holoska? Was the Iowa guy? Uh, oof. Um, Let's look this I don't I remember him. I, I remember Mike Dudek at Illinois had like nine years or something. But, I mean, D, DK, yeah, you're, you're right. He, he had 12 catches in the 2020 season. And then a, an ever-increasing role since then, but injuries have kind of struck this season. And and he just hasn't been the same. He still does uh, some work in the return game, but he hasn't been as impactful. Skylar Bell ha- has gotten 38 catches on the year. He was another big part of their offense last year, but it hasn't been, you know, he hasn't made too much of a dent. Uh, they they use Green mostly as their as their deep threat when they do want to go deep. Um, but like I said, mostly it's it's short routes, it's it's mesh, it's um, kind of like a inside running a an out, and then the outside guy will run a fade or a um, a uh, what's it called a, a flag. Um, they don't use their tight end Hayden Rucci much. They do have a couple other tight ends. They'll rotate in Tucker Ashcraft and Riley Nowakowski. That's not really like it seems like a fine receiver group, not a great one, not a terrible one, um, but they're just it hasn't all clicked together, and their their offensive line hasn't allowed many sacks because they haven't had many opportunities to, um, and they haven't actually looked pretty decent blocking the run. They they don't allow many negative plays. Uh, they're tenth in the country in line yards per carry, but I wouldn't say that's an outstanding offensive line. And so you put this all together where it's it's like a, there's kind of this identity crisis, there are health issues, and like, like I said, their best player isn't at 100% specifically, and also was not as central to their approach as he has been before. Um, and their approach is about passing, but they can't get any big plays passing at all. Like they're second to last in the country in explosiveness throwing the ball. It's it's kind of a, a weird scene. Sounds like I, a six-point team. Yeah, it sounds like a six-win team with a new coaching staff. Yeah. So I, I think you should try to cover the underneath stuff, make tackles one-on-one because they're going to make your defensive backs do that. Uh, whether that's Jones or Wally or Jack Henderson, you're going to have to make tackles in space. You may want to dare them to go deep, just have Tyler Newbin posted up back there in center field and – um, you know, play some cover one because, like I said, they they do throw deep sometimes, but it's it's almost all going to be in front of you, and if an efficiency incrementalist type of type of game from them, um, and uh, you know they haven't been able to connect on some of these longer throws. Uh, I, w- I would try to spy Tanner Mordecai, keep him in the pocket where possible, and bring him down. And when Braylon Allen gets the ball. Uh, tackle him low, which has been the, the game plan when, when facing Braylon Allen in the past, because he's still very large. And even in the games where he hasn't been at 100%, you can see him just annihilate a defender. He did that against Nebraska once or twice. Uh, you watch him against Iowa and he did that. Uh, I don't think, I don't think Jack Turner is still the Iowa safety, but you know, one of, one of their many white safeties, he may look like a, a rag doll. So 
Defensively, it's it's a more similar look, but just not as a as high a level. It's still a three four, two four five type of thing with Mike Tressel as defensive coordinator, and they do still have a handful of really solid players. CJ gets one of their edge rushers, outside linebackers is still good. Daryl Peterson, outside linebacker, still pretty good. On the defensive line, you will see some plays made from James Thompson Jr. Rodas Johnson has been around for a while. Uh, he, but the, I, I don't think up front they have a Keanu Benton style, um, you know, someone to, to really make your life hell. Man, that name bring, brings back memories, not good ones. And then the secondary, I, I don't really see a, a cornerback you can count on being a, a real problem. Ricardo Hallman is probably the best of their three. According to PFF, he's allowing the lowest completion rate at 51.9%. Uh, but he still can get burned. He had a, a play against Nebraska where um, he came up on, um, it was a, a slant, I think it was. It was some route over the middle, and he was was coming over from his zone sort of in the the, the high flat, and he just he just kind of tried to lay a big hit on a guy who was bigger than him and he just kind of bounced off and it went for like a 40 yard touchdown. He's not immune to, to messing up. Alexander Smith, Nizier Forkurin, the other cornerback at Grand Valley State transfer. Neither of them have looked too impressive, uh, nor their uh, their nickelback, Jason uh, Maitre, a Boston College transfer. There, there's some real holes in that secondary, especially if they're without strong safety Hunter Wohler who only played the first half against Nebraska. He suffered some kind of upper body injury. He leads the team in tackles uh, with 84, um, which as a reminder, I do my tackles. Uh, I count assists as half a tackle. So if you've got 84 and you haven't played a full season yet, you're getting in there and doing some work. So he might not be available. This is a, a team that does not give up big plays through the pass, uh, but they do allow a lot of completions. They're 62nd in completion rate allowed. They don't get that many sacks. Their rush defense is pretty underwhelming. 36th in success rate allowed. The, the good way, you know, where, where one is, is, you know, a lower success rate for a defense. They just are kind of pedestrian in places, and the the advanced metrics kind of agree. Like they're they're at at best, they're just good. Twenty first in F plus, forty fourth in ESPN's efficiency rating, nineteenth in Massey. It's just fine. It's not the dominant Wisconsin defense we've seen in the past. You've got a couple pretty good players. I don't think there's anyone you look at and say that's a definite NFL player or anything like that. So, I think you've got a be balanced they're gonna probably sell out to stop the run because asymptomatic manis has not had a good couple weeks and because they know what to expect from minnesota at this point so if you can throw against them enough so that they will believe you will pass and if asymptomatic manis is able to have the type of game he had last year in madison or even just a decent game keep them off balance attack their cornerbacks exploit some weaknesses they have on the outside that will give you room to run because I, I do think you can run against this team if you are able to create space for yourself it's just a matter of if you can and one of the ways you might be able to do that is, is running Nathan Kelly Manis because Chubba Purdy had a few big runs against them last week in Madison obviously that's a risky game especially for a, a quarterback who doesn't always you know, start his slide at the right time and, and you know, can, like I said, it's it's not quite a toss-up. The, the computers favor Wisconsin slightly. Stores are somewhere in the 20 to 17, 24 to 17 range in terms of projections. Uh, what what are you feeling from this one? Yeah, this is a game where I, I have no idea. Both teams seem aggressively mediocre, um, the matchup doesn't really seem to favor one team specifically over another. I will say the lack of explosion from the passing game of Wisconsin, um, that is that is heartening as a Gophers fan uh, because of, again, just again, especially thinking about that Purdue game. I mean, they were just able to throw it all over us. 
and that's how again ultimately you lost the Illinois game too, uh, among other things. But but at the same time, you know, Braylon Allen is still there. Um, I do feel good about the fact that again, even though that's you know it's apples and oranges in a sense, we have historically played Braylon Allen pretty well the last couple of years. Um, so I feel like for on that on that side of the ball, I feel all right. I don't think they're going to score 35 or 40 points against us. It just doesn't seem likely due to their style, due to the matchups, due to history, due to the fact that they aren't just that great in that style. But at the same time, you know, again, I, we, we have not played inspired ball. So, I mean, my hope is that my, my hopeful, my hopeful optimistic outcome is we win this, we win this 20 to 17, you know, we eke out a, uh, we eke out a, an ugly one, you know, we go into the go into the bowl game that we will hopefully make, you know, with something to hang our hats on and something to feel good about. Once again, we have somehow come up with the same store prediction. Um, right. Happens a lot. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I I will also say 2017, dependent on if Cody Lindbergh can play. Um, I, yeah. I think the Gophers, if they have their an actual, you know, starting level middle linebacker in the game will have a chance. I would, I, I feel like I've been mentally preparing myself for a few months for the Gophers to lose this game. And I think the projections are right to slightly favor that outcome. I, I it, it's close enough for me to think, especially with the injuries that Allen has been, been dealing with and just the, the, like you said, the lack of explosiveness. It just it makes me it makes me believe enough, you know, uh, if the Gophers have Lindenberg back and even more so if the Gophers have maybe not Darius Taylor, but Zach Evans. Yeah. So just just having bodies would 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 be huge and would probably turn this game for, for Minnesota, in my opinion. So if they don't have the the full compliment then i i'll just you know say it's a wisconsin win by probably the reverse if not like 24 to 14 or something like that um but for now because this is a homer podcast one that tries to be completely objective well we we try to be uh you know objective and, and logical and everything but at the same time we we do both have degrees from this university so uh, I'll, I'll I'll say the Gophers will will win, um, even if there's a big if attached to that. Kickoff is 2:30 on FS1. Weather forecast is fairly nice actually. Uh, a little windy, nine mile per hour winds, but uh, low to mid four, uh, low to mid 30s, 34 degrees. No chance of precipitation, mostly cloudy. Uh, so won't have to worry about the sunset too much. And I was really worried we were going to get Tim Brando and uh, Spencer Tillman, but no, it's Jeff Levering and Mark Helfrich, who I actually think is pretty pretty okay. Um, and in case you're wondering, this series is tied again, I believe at, uh, what is it, 62, 62, and maybe one? Yeah, so, uh, let, me, let me actually verify that. Uh, just... Let me go to Winsipedia real quick. A very fun website, by the way, Winsipedia.com. Uh, 62, 62, and 8 is the current record. And uh, so it would be very nice if the Gophers can regain a lead in this series for the first time in a few years. Like I said, that'll be 2.30 on BTN on Saturday. But because this is Thanksgiving weekend, we've got three full days of football. Yeah, and three good, I would argue, is some very, very good days of football. Um, yeah, should I just go? Sure. Uh, I can I can rattle through the Big Ten slate real quick. Yeah. Um, Friday, we've got Iowa-Nebraska at 11, and then Michigan State-Penn State at 6.30. The, the BTN games on Saturday, 11 o'clock, Indiana-Purdue, 2.30, Northwestern Illinois and Maryland Rutgers, and then I'll let you talk about the other one. Yeah, and I'll I'll start though a little move uh, from the from the from the top as far as the week goes because I do think it is a very full and a very good weekend of football Thanksgiving onward. I mean, 
Um, you have the Egg Bowl starting on Thursday, um, which is not promised to be great, but hey, a lot of hatred there, <laughs> you know, um, which is a, a common theme probably with a lot of these games, a lot of these games with fun names, some of which I can remember and some of which I can't. Well, just, yeah, it's rav- rivalry week, right? That's it's what it's all about. So as far as other games, I think Friday, there's some great games. Um, specifically, um, I know you're excited for uh, Texas or Tech versus UT, as you'd say. Um, that is uh, a big, big game for both teams. Texas obviously wants to stay in uh, the playoff hunt. Um, they're probably in the fringes of that right now. And, you know, as you would say for Tech, it's just a, it's a big game regardless, you know. Um, so that's a big one. Uh, Missouri, Arkansas, Missouri, again, just proving to be uh, very good. I'm going backwards, basically. Uh, Missouri, Arkansas, yeah, Missouri has been very good. Arkansas, not so much. Um, But again, still some bad blood. I would also say as far as the other game I would watch on, well, I will be working on Friday afternoon, so I won't be able to watch this. But uh, UTSA versus Tulane um, in the American uh, promises to be very good. I don't think either team has lost in conference. And Tulane's only loss was week one or week two, I guess, against uh, that very good Ole Miss team. So, yeah, Tulane having a great couple of years. UTSA also having a great uh, couple of years. That one promises to be very close and uh, very good. As far as game Saturday, the one you had mentioned, the big one, Ohio State, Michigan. Um, ESPN is telling me tickets are starting as low as $463, which sounds about right. Um, this game usually has large not the rivalry the implications it's just big it's always big right um and this year is no exception the winner will probably will probably be ranked number one by the end of the week um the loser um potentially jeopardizes their playoff position or their playoff with they're in the playoffs at all um so yeah that's huge game uh both teams are very, very good. I, Harbaugh is not coaching in this, correct? Or quote unquote not coaching. Um, so maybe. yeah, he his suspension is game day through the end of the regular season. So he will be back for Detroit should Michigan win this game. Oh, that's big. I think people have been a bit down in Ohio State this year, and I think that's perhaps unfounded because I think they're very. You know, the offense has taken a little bit longer to sort of get up to speed, but at this point with the with the two receivers and Travion at full speed, I think they're uh you know, they're as they're as good as good as they always are, I would say. Next at eleven you also have Kentucky Louisville. Uh Louisville's favorite here, rightfully so. Um, Kentucky's been on a big slide, but uh a weirdly big game for both teams, I think. The psyche of Kentucky and the the program of Louisville, yeah, that's a big game. Uh, A&M, LSU, you know, A&M's got nothing to lose. They already fired their coach, so, you know, more power to them. Um, as far as other games go, I'm just looking through here. Probably, you know, the Iron Bowl isn't super compelling this year. Auburn, um, who did Auburn just lose to? Um, Auburn just lost to... New Mexico, they lost, they lost the kill bowl. Um, so, you know, I don't expect that to be uh, just great. Uh, BYU had some moments against Oklahoma. So we'll see if they can do the same against Oklahoma State. Vandy, Tennessee, not intriguing. Liberty, UTEP, not intriguing. I do want to point out Northwestern, Illinois. Illinois can go bowling. Uh, Northwestern has... I mean, we expected Northwestern to be the worst team on the Gophers schedule this year, and they have far surpassed expectations um, and brought their coach back. So uh, good for them to five and six team versus six and five team, a very familiar situation to the one we're in. Um, so there's something to play for there. James Madison, Coastal, potential, but probably GMU, probably favorite. I, I, can, I can try to sell this. Um, okay, sell, it. sell me. And really the whole... Sunbelt slate this weekend is a little, yeah. little spicy. So like, like you said, uh, I mean, James Madison is much better than everyone else in the Sunbelt right now. They're 10 and one, but that one did just come last week. And we'll touch on that in a second. But Coastal has, has rebounded nicely after a pretty bad start to the year. They're seven and four right now. 
And because GMU was not granted a waiver by the NCAA, that means that the Sunbelt East title is up for grabs this weekend. And so if Toastal is able to beat GMU, then they have it locked up because they have the tiebreaker over App State. The problem is it's GMU, which leads me to Deeper Than Hate, one of my favorite uh, mid-major rivalries, Georgia Southern App State, which is 230. where neither program feels super great about themselves right now and about their coaches, where Sean Clark is is this, you know, App State, super App State, you know, alumnus guy. He's, he's been around for a long time. He's an offensive line coach. Uh, he's supposed to know what App State's about. And they've only won seven games this year, which, you know, as, as a program who won national titles in the FCS and then came up and pretty much stuck the landing immediately at the FBS level. The expectations Um, are higher. Yeah, the expectations are higher than that. And if they lose to Georgia Southern, then that would be pretty bad for for Sean Clark, in part because it, it, you know, throws away the chance of going to the conference title game, but also because they really hate Georgia Southern. And, you know, losing to rivals, I don't know if you've heard, uh, (laughs) can follow around a coach, see one running day. Southern is in year two of the Clay Helton thing. And last year was sort of encouraging, but understandable year one weirdness. You beat Nebraska kind of a, a bad, bad half, bad back half of the year. But they're six and five and they they're not in division title contention. But if they're able to get to seven wins and to beat App State, who is in a better state than them. But after beating Georgia State earlier in the year, a game that they hate to lose more than love to win that'd be two wins over your two big rivals uh, a seven win season in year two a 500 record in the division that that would be some real proof of concept i think for clay helton for another program that's pretty proud and has expectations yeah and the other thing with app you know we mentioned james madison's one loss that was to app last week yes. so well, um, yeah, so there, 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 there's some potential for, for them maybe, you know, taking that conference title bid. But the other game in the Sun Belt I wanted to mention, Marshall is in another place where they kind of started off well and haven't really worked it out. They're five and six. They need to go bowling, and they're going up against Arkansas State, who last week just beat the tar out of Texas State, who we thought was a pretty good team, 77 points. Wow. And this, this might have saved uh, – I've forgotten his, is it Phil Jones, the former Tennessee head coach? Not sure. Butch Jones. Butch Jones is the Arkansas State head coach, used to be at Tennessee. He, he had a really tough start to the year, but they've had a, a good run in the back half of the season. And, uh, you know, that went over Texas State's big. And if they can beat Marshall, that would be also significant. But Marshall, you know, chance at going bowling. It's a it's a fun conference, um, and it's it's not as great as it's been in years past. And the the East title is locked up. It's going to be Troy, but um, there's some intrigue in the Sun Belt this weekend. I buy it. I buy it. I buy it. Hook line sinker. Um, Texas State, South Alabama, also two six win teams, should be pretty evenly matched. Other big mid major games: um, Jacksonville State versus New Mexico State. Did they quench the? I'm trying to remember. Did they quench the division? I think they quenched the division. The, the whatever division they're in in the Conference USA. There aren't divisions in Conference USA, um, but they will. They are going to play Liberty in the conference title game. Yes. They have the same record in the conference as Jacksonville State, but Jacksonville State, like James Madison, yes. is not eligible to participate in a conference title game. Yes. So, and again, big win, big win last week over Auburn for the Fighting Jerry's. Just got to... Gotta love it. That is a program I support doing well. I would say the same thing about Jacksonville State, but, you know, I like New Mexico State more. At six, you have Florida State and Florida. I should also mention again, Wazoo, Washington, uh, big in that Washington can't lose. <laughs> um, so, also an up. Yeah, yeah. A lot of hatred and a lot on the line, and Washington State has really nothing to lose in this game at this point, so... Um, and you know, something like, you know, some things to gain. So, um, there's that Florida state and Florida, obviously with Travis going out, Florida state ceiling feels a lot lower, but they are still ranked number five. They are still undefeated. Um, and they still, 
there is still room for them to be a playoff team should they should they you know clean up and clean up impressively. I don't know that it's going to happen. Florida has not been great, but they are playing for a bowl game. This is, albeit an improved Graham Mertz, you know, still a Graham Mertz team. So, um, you know, we'll see how that goes. Um, but I think I think Mertz is out. By the way, is he out? I, I think he suffered a like a collarbone injury against uh, Mizzou. Oh my! Well, regardless. Regardless, Florida has something to play for. Florida State has everything to play for. And common theme, they hate each other. <laughs> Big game on that front. Uh, then, yeah, uh, again, USA, Texas State, uh, Clemson, South Carolina. South Carolina playing for a bowl game after beating uh, Kentucky. Um, and I think that's about it. I guess Iowa State, Kansas State could be pretty good, too. I don't know how North Carolina versus NC State will be potentially good. I haven't followed NC State close enough to really have a strong opinion on that. But yeah, that's that's basically what I what I got. Anything you want to add? Well, I think you might have forgotten a very big game. What did I forget? What did I miss? Friday night in Eugene, Oregon. Oh my gosh! I'm sorry. I missed the I missed the biggest game of the week, didn't I? Um, yes, Oregon versus Oregon State, uh, the Civil War. Lots of implications. Uh, two very, very good teams, uh, despite Oregon State losing last week to Washington. There's still a lot on the line. Um, is this the last? Probably the last one too, right? So Washington, Washington State just announced a five-year series, um, and it looks like Oregon and Oregon State are working on putting something together. Just the issue is Oregon's schedule is full for 2024. Yeah, they're reportedly working with Boise State to try to kick that game back another few years or maybe just to buy them out entirely. So I think we're trending towards at the very least, this series will resume, even if it takes a break in 2024. But it might not take any break in 2024. It's just a matter of making the schedules line up. Well, that's good because it's a great rivalry. And this is as big as this game has been in years, I would say. Um, Oregon State has been good the last couple of years, but not as good as they are this year. And Oregon uh, playing again for their playoff life, uh, any chance they have at uh, the proverbial natty, uh, where they will want to, they will want to win this game. So, yeah, um, they've been playing great though. Only loss was that really good game against Washington. So. They got to feel pretty good about themselves, but Pac-12, uh, reliably great football this year, um, as we were sort of talking about the beginning of the season, that has carried over to a fun and exciting and deep conference season. Absolutely. I have eight more games to rattle off really quickly because they are the FCS playoffs first round. All right. Sometimes no. not super competitive. <laughs> Sometimes not. And uh, Bill Connolly, he, he had SP Plus put out some odds for the title this year. And South Dakota State has a 57% chance of winning the national championship um, before a game has been played. So, um, you know, they're probably going to win it. But we've still got the first round to take care of. Sacramento State, North Dakota at noon. Winner plays South Dakota, who's number three. One o'clock, Lafayette, Delaware, winner plays number two, Montana, NC Central, and Richmond, also one o'clock, winner plays number five, Albany. Chattanooga goes to Austin P at two o'clock, winner plays number seven, Furman, who was probably expecting a better seed until they lost to previous previously winless Wofford last week. Two o'clock, Gardner-Webb Mercer, they're playing for the right to get slaughtered by the Jackrabbits. Nickel State, Southern Illinois, goes to the Kibbe Dome to play number four, Idaho. Drake, North Dakota State at 2.30 will play Montana State, who's number six after their uh, big disappointing loss to Montana in the Brawl of the Wild. And then at four o'clock, the last game of the day, Duquesne plays Youngstown State, and the winner goes to Philly to play Villanova. So there's, there's the FCS playoffs for the weekend. And you know what? Shout out. I can't remember if you already said this, but Grambling Southern, um, just one of the one of the great one of the one of the great uh, one of the great rivalries, and uh, you know, two, two of the great bands historically. Not only uh, is is that 
happening this weekend, but uh, Thursday, two o'clock, is the, the Turkey Day Classic, Tuskegee and Alabama State. Mm -hmm. Both teams pretty good this year. I, I, I have no idea. Tuskegee <laughs> is D2, um, but they've been playing this game for a hundred years, and sometimes a different team has been subbed in for Tuskegee, but th this has been a, a Thanksgiving staple in the HBCU scene for a really, really long time. So I think at this point, Alabama State wins all the time, but, you know, still something. Fun. Yeah, yeah. Anything else happening this weekend you want to talk about? Go Wolves. I don't know who they play this weekend, but go Wolves, 10 and 3. Um, let me think. Um, you know, are, are you are you making anything? No, I'm not. I'm a porous cook. Wrong word choice, but I'm a poor cook. Um, and I rely, thankfully, I have I'm going to a very large family gathering where other people will <laughs> make make things. So that's something I need to correct. It's a character flaw, uh, but um, won't be making, actually, I won't be making anything significant. I may, may make something for myself here or there. Um, but, you know, celebrating Thanksgiving, I guess on the subject of sports, I am running the 10K Turkey Trot in St. Paul. So shout out me. It's my first competitive run in almost 10 years. Um, and that was, I was in a lot better shape then, but I'm working, working towards it. Um, so, uh, yeah, looking forward to that. Uh, you know, we'll see about the Vikings and Bears. You know, I don't know. Uh, but I do know there's a game, I believe it's, is it Seahawks 49ers on Thursday night that looks pretty good? Yeah, that, that's, I believe, the Thursday night. Yeah, the other games don't look great, but that one does look good. And in the Cowboys game, you know, I'm not a Cowboys fan, but. Um, Dolly Parton is singing the national anthem, or is, is doing the halftime show. So we got that going for us. The Scott Stapp Memorial halftime show, I should say. Yeah. I mean, for me, I, I, I'm not a Cowboys fan. I never have been. And when I was a youth, I, I really hated the Cowboys. And now I'm sort of in a weird, mostly dislike, but don't really hate space. But uh, any time they're on TV, you know, I, I, I want to watch which is a lot because they're the Cowboys, but um, Thursday, you know, Thanksgiving, that's that's a staple for me. You know, watch the Cowboys and then you watch AM and UT who haven't played in 14 years, but next year, you know, it'll be back. All right. Hopefully when we talk next time, we'll be talking about a go for win and newfound okay. optimism and all these positive things. Um, but there's a good chance we aren't. So, uh, whatever your Thanksgiving weekend looks like, enjoy it to the fullest possibility, eat some good food, and enjoy as much football as possible. Absolutely. Absolutely.